get going. All right, let's let's get going. So you guys have shared the word. You let us know where you're listening from. You've governed yourself according to the announcements. Then we're going to jump right in. I've been up for a little while. Uh, I prayed. I hope you prayed. And we declare that today's word will bless you and help manifest fruit in your life. Amen. So today I want to talk about hindrances to maintaining God's power. As you know, it's God's intent for us to operate in his power. He says he's going to go to the father and that because he was going to the father that we would do many good works uh, on, on his behalf. And so God has left us in do with so much power. He has left us to govern the earth. He has left us to be in control. And that was the whole point of us coming to the earth. God wanted us, he wanted a, he wanted a, uh, a steward in the earth to govern the earth. And he gave that person the exact same power that he had so that we may do exactly what God does. But how many of you know that sometimes there are, you, you, you're born again, you're a believer, but there are so many times that we are not operating in the power of God. We're not laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. We're not preaching deliverance to the captives. We're not freeing people. We're not doing any of that. And so what I want to talk about tonight, to, well, this morning, I'm so used to uh, refresh Bible study, is what hinders us and how do we overcome that? All right. And the first thing that we got to understand is this. The enemy is not concerned about active sinners. The enemy is concerned about people who are not born again. That's that's not his focus. The enemy's greatest achievement is to have you and I as believers become inactive and ineffective Christians because we are unaware of the power that's available to us through Christ. So his greatest achievement is to get you to doubt God. His greatest achievement is to get you to to sell yourself short, to become comfortable, to become lax in your study of the word so that you don't even understand the power that has been given to you. And so that's the greatest achievement of the enemy. So he, he coerces us because he has no power over us. So he coerces us into thinking that God really won't do what he said. God really won't honor his word. He coerces us into participating in things that make our flesh happy, but then that they're, they're sin because they're against what God desires for us to do. And so tonight, today, we're going to talk about those things so that we can walk in the full manifestation of God's power so that the world may know the God that we serve and be drawn to him, right? Because that's what it's all about. Many believers wonder that why they're not walking in power, prosperity, and success. It's because they don't understand the fully the how to utilize the power of God. We got to understand that to access the power of God requires knowledge of God. I was reading something or listening to something this week, and they were talking about the things of God is foolish to, to people who lack knowledge of God. So if God told you that in, in a recession, in this time, without a job, that this year you is your year to get a house, right? And your environment says, girl, how are you going to get a house? Dude, how are you going to get a house? You don't have a job. You're on an unemployment. They're talking about cutting that off. All these things. Why? Because the things of God are foolish to those who don't know him. And when you know God, you understand that God isn't telling you a promise based on anything that you have. He is telling you a promise based on who he is and what he has. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need need any of that to give you what he told you you can have. What he needs from us is our obedience. 
So what we got to understand that even though you know the word of God, I mean, it doesn't mean that you know the word of God, right? The Bible, uh, Matthew 16 and 19 tells us that the word is like keys. And how many of you guys know that a key is only effective if you know what lock it goes to? Um, I have several keys and my brother said borrowed my truck one time and he said, bro, why you got all these keys? He needed to get something, unlock my toolbox in my truck. And though he had all the keys because he didn't know which key fit the lock, he was unable to access things. And so for some of, so many of us, we got a lot of word, but we're not intimate with that word. We don't apply that word. We don't insert that key into the lock and able to access what God has given us. And so just because you go to church, just because you pray just because you do those things. If that's not what's down in your heart, is that if that's not what you believe by faith, then it's unable to access the, uh, and unlock the things that God wants you to unlock. And so we walk around ineffective and without power because we choose not to believe God's word. We choose to stagger at his promises. We choose to not believe that he'll be true to what he said. And so when in Luke 4, when he tells us that, 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 what our commission is, we got to understand that we have everything we need to operate the full and the full power of God right now, right now. All right, right now. So let's go to James 1, 22 and 24. It, said, uh, it says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So, so many people, and that I always, every time I think about that, I think about Pastor Nietzsche teaching uh, her message way, probably 13, 14 years ago or more about good ground. You're the guy who, who who get the word of God, but when the word of God, it comes in, but then it, it doesn't develop a root system. And so it dries up, it withers. And that's the same thing. This guy goes, look at himself. He forgets. Why? Because he doesn't apply the word of God. So how do how are we going to get to the point to walk in the power of God, to walk in the success that God has for us, to experience the prosperity that God has left us? We do that through faith. Go ahead and type to say, I access God's power through faith. I access God's power through faith. Romans 5 and 13 says this, may the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace and believing through the what? Experience of your faith, through the experience of your faith, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. So what we got to do is this, the experience of our faith, it is the exercising, the use, the application of our faith that unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. So when you lay hands on the sick, it has nothing to do with you giving somebody power. And a lot of times we look at ourselves, well, I can't do this. You can't, but God can through you. But when we choose not to exercise, and that word exercise means to use and apply, when we choose not to exercise our faith, then what we're choosing to is to be inactive and ineffective Christians. Because you're not called to be born again just to go to heaven. You're called to be born again so that you can be a steward, a regent 
a, a dominating factor in this earth. He says, I've given you power. He says, I want you to dominate, subdue, have dominion. He wants you to rule things. But if you are refusing to exercise your faith, then you cannot access the power needed to rule the earth the way that God desires for it. And you know why you can't do that? Because a lot of times you allow your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, your intellect to interfere with what God has said. See, your spirit is in 100% agreement with God. Your soul is, is a fleshly nature and your body is just going to do whichever one's dominating, whether your spirit or soul. So as you spend time cultivating your soul man and causing it to be aligned with your spirit man, that's when your body responds. That's when I go in and you see a situation, no matter what it looks like with your physical eyes, you look at the situation, you say, hey, by the stripes of Jesus, I declare that you're healed. Healing belongs to you. The Bible says that Jesus healed them all. They brought them to Jesus. He healed them all. You go into situations and you don't see the situation from an earthly standpoint, but you see the situation from what God has already done. And so you just say what God has already said. But you got to understand, you got to put your soul into alignment with what the word of God has said. And that's what Pastor, Pastor Edwin was talking about the other day when he was teaching about renewing your mind. Why? Because our mind is, is in conflict. Our earthly mind is in conflict with the things of God. In Romans 8 and 7, it tells us that you must understand that it is in your natural flesh and mind, it doubts God. Since sin entered the world, our mind governed by the flesh has been hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So don't beat yourself up because you're not there yet. All you got to do is spend time in the word and we'll talk about the hindrances in a minute so that you can overcome those things so that I may go out and fulfill the great commission, right? Your job is to seek and to save those that are lost. Now, in the meantime, as a good king, God blesses you and empowers you to do so many things along the way. He gives you so many benefits along the way, but we can never get away from understanding what our purpose is in this earth and that is to promote the kingdom of jesus christ that is promote the kingdom of god and to seek and to save those that are lost and to lay hands on them and to empower them and to release those that are captive and those that are in bondage that is our job now does that we need money to do that so we participate in god's uh, system of seed time and harvest right we need we need money to get things done so that's why the money exists, right? So don't get caught up with, and I mean, and having a nice house allows you to have somebody come stay with you or, or having a car allows you to take somebody somewhere. Having more than enough just simply allows you to ensure that other kingdom citizens have what they need. And so in the process, God is going to always make sure that I'm blessed because I'm always going to make sure that kingdom people have what they need because I obey the king. And when you obey the king, then you have access to all of his power. You have access to all of his power. Uh, Ephesians 3 and 20 says this, now to him who is able to do more than all that we dare ask and finally beyond our greatest prayers according to what? His power that's worked within us. The power works in us as we demonstrate our faith, which is fed by our knowledge of the word. 
So you're like, well, God, give me more faith. God, I want to ex- I want to walk in your power. I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to pray and see situations change. You want all of this, but God can't give you any more faith. He's already gave given you the measure of faith. How do you increase your faith? You increase your faith through the knowledge of God, of the word of God. How do I know that? Where does faith start? Faith starts where the will of God is known. So as I become more familiar, as I become more intimate, as I begin to understand how to utilize the keys, the scriptures, and the word of God, then it increases my faith and gives me the ability to believe more. And so God isn't responsible for increasing your faith. That's your job. God and faith is like a muscle, right? Uh, when I was working out, I haven't, I, I, when I, before I had shoulder surgery, I was working out, I could bend press 275, 280, right? But after I had surgery, uh, and besides the fact it wouldn't be wise now, but after I had surgery, I was weak. Why? Because you could be strong in the word in one moment and then stop exercising that the word and then become weak again. So what we got to do is constantly be spending time in the word of God so we may exhibit the power of God so that the kingdom can be manifested in the earth. All right. That is our job. That is our job. I am responsible for increasing my faith. That's not job, God's job. And so many times we put so many things on God and we blame God for situations in the earth that really is my responsibility. I was helping my boys yesterday clean up their rooms and I walked in there and I saw something I didn't like. And I was just like, I was like, hey, dude, why is this there? And he he's like, uh, because, uh, 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 you know, they, they begin to look for options on why. At the end of the day, you lack power because you are not responsible with what you have. You lack power because you're not responsible with what you've been given. You lack it. And so just like kids who are always defaulting to blame others, at some point as a, a Christian, we have to grow up and understand it is my job to access the word of God so that I may increase my faith, so that I may exempt, be able to exemplify the glory of God through my life. Because you understand it's God's desire for us to replicate his, his glory in the earth. So that's his desire. All right, let's go to John 14. It says, in solemn truth, I'll tell you, anyone believing in me shall do the same miracles, right? He said, you should do the same miracles and even greater ones because I'm going to the Father. You can ask him for anything using my name and I'll do it. For this will bring what? Praise to the Father because of what I, the Son, will do for you. It brings God's great glory when we operate in his power. He wants you powerful. He wants you to speak to the earth and the earth responds to it. But you, the earth the earth will only respond to faith. I don't care how bad you want you want uh, the job. I don't care how bad you want something to happen. Your desire for it to happen doesn't move God. Faith is what causes God's finished works to be manifested in the earth. And you got to line up with the word. All right. You got to line up with the word. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about these hindrances. All right. Let's talk about these hindrances. Hindrance number one, the first hindrance to operate in the power of God is a failure to tithe and give. 
a failure to tithe and give. Yeah, I know there's so much out there talking about tithing, whether you should, you shouldn't, Old Testament, New Testament, all this stuff. Uh, I, I get it. But in Malachi, it says, will a man rob God? And he says, you have robbed me. How? How did you rob me? And you're tithing offering. And caveat, you can't give, you can't give, uh, uh, you, 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 giving is not an optional. Even people that are not in the uh, kingdom understand the importance of giving. It says, you are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. So when I'm refusing to give into the kingdom of God, I'm just not robbing God, but I'm also robbing the kingdom of God from having what it, the resources that it needs to be able to supply the citizens that's within it. Imagine your husband or your spouse, y'all both work. But they take their check and they do whatever they want with their check. They don't contribute to the house. How do you feel? You like, now we all eat here. We all do this here. Uh, when, when there's a bill to be paid, we take our money and we pay it, but they don't contribute. How many people in the world, and I'm talking about born again believers, don't contribute to the kingdom, but always want, wanting to make a withdrawal from the church? They don't contribute. They, they know that they should give. They know that they should tithe. They know they should give offering. They know they should bless Johnny when God told them to bless Johnny with lunch. But they don't ever contribute, but they always wanting to make withdrawals, withdrawals from the kingdom. Now, God being good takes care of his kids. But here's the thing. Nobody likes a parasite. And so in the kingdom of God, we unleash power when we participate in his system of seed, time, and harvest. And I know some of you are like, well, I, I, I only I only tithe. I don't I tithe most of the time. But when money's short, that's when I, I don't tithe. Well, if I only robbed your house when my mortgage needed to be paid, does that make me any less of a robber? Robert, it doesn't. And so it's not OK to have excuses not to give. Why? Because when you under but it goes back to faith, if you don't understand that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he'll do then you'll feel like that you can't give. You'll feel like you can't afford to give. But here's the thing. You can't not you can't afford not to give. Why? Because when I refuse to give, it it keeps it clogs God's power from flowing through my life and in my life and through my life. Why? Because when I rob God, it causes the windows of heaven not to be opened up unto me. It causes me not to participate in an order of seed, time, and harvest. And so though I want abundance, I haven't sold anything, so I can't reap abundance. And so, yes, even occasional robbery is still robbery. So we got to commit to being consistent tithers. And so I don't want to set anybody up. So don't type this if you don't believe this. But say this, I am a consistent giver and tither. I am a consistent giver and tither. I am a consistent giver and tither. Why? And if you, I mean, and if you, if you're not there yet, but you're like, God, that's where I want to be. Go ahead and say it. But you got to understand that robbery is robbery, whether it occurs one time a year, nobody on this, on this stream will be okay with me coming to their house, taking their TVs, their cars, because my family needed something. I only did it once. But it's still robbery. 
And so what we got to understand is we got to be consistent in that thing. We got to always be sowing because we always want to be reaping. I bet nobody on here is like, oh, I don't I don't want to reap. You always want to reap. You always want to harvest. So you always have to be sowing. All right. So we must understand that stealing from God or refusing to participate in the system of seed time and harvest decreases God's power because he cannot financially ensure that we experience the prosperity and the success that he desires for us to have. All right. So for the believer, tithing should be a no brainer. It should be a no brainer. But many choose not to participate because they feel they have more power than God when it comes to their money. See, you don't tithe because and we can't we ain't gonna spend all our time on this. But you don't tithe because you feel like you got better control of your money than God has. But here's the thing. It ain't even your money. I mean, it, it, it it's like and Aiden's a perfect example. I gave Aiden. He did something. Uh I'm forget what it was, but he got like a hundred dollars. Uh, I gave it to him, and I said, "Aiden, I need twenty dollars back." He didn't even ask questions. Uh, oh, I just gave it to him. He, I just, I just gave it to him. That's what it was. And I said, "Aiden, can I have twenty dollars back?" He's like, "Yeah, Daddy, here you go." He didn't even ask questions. Why? Because he understood that though I had the same person that gave me the hundred asked for twenty back would give me more when I need it. But we don't believe you only refuse to give to God because you don't feel like God is going to honor his word. You don't feel like that the system of seed time and harvest is really effective. And because of that, you st you, you uh, hinder the power of God because you can't increase. And how does that hinder the power of God? Because you can't sow into every place that he needs you to sow in. You can't even pay your own bills. And that's not the will of God. Jonah 10 says, 10 and 10 says, I've come that you may have life and that life more abundantly. The way we live life exists is an example of the power of God. So if I'm always broke, if I'm always sick, if I'm, my marriage is always broken, if my kid is always disobedient, if nothing is never going on well in my life, what in the, and I call myself a believer, how does that paint a picture of the God that I serve? It makes him look like he's not a good father. And it's not that he's not a good father, it's that, that we don't trust the daddy in which we call Lord. But that's the problem. A lot of us, I mean, you say, Lord, Lord, but then you don't do what he asks you to. So the hindrance number one to not operating God's full power, manifesting the power of God is failure to tithe and give. Number two, uh, number two is going, uh, and here's the thing. I'm not sure why I teach. I feel like sometimes I, it's like I talk to people uh, about their issues. Uh, listen, you, you're not going to get anywhere disrespecting those in authority or rebelling against those in authority. Um, this is a whole message in itself. Uh, we teach a whole partnership class about this, the different spirits. But at the end of the day, you can't be out there putting your mouth on a man, of, a woman of God, talking about them, criticizing them and putting them down and rebelling against the things that they say and expect God to bless you. See, so many people don't understand kingdom. Because you, we live in the United States of America, where it's ran by democracy, that even though in, in this democracy doesn't even do what's in the best interest of the people in which it's supposed to serve. I mean, I won't get on my soapbox about schools and stuff, but I mean, think about it. 
I mean, the democracy doesn't always protect the citizens. And so you, we have this mindset that we always can have an opinion and that we can voice this opinion and that people should hear us. Well, in the kingdom of God, it's not set up that way. It's a theocracy. It's God ran. And when God runs his kingdom, he places people in authority in certain positions. You got the fivefold ministry. You got all these things that God has set up so that his kingdom can run. And so when you don't understand how the kingdom works and you violate the things of the kingdom because you operate as if it was a democracy, you limit the power of God from operating in your life. So let, let me, let's keep going. It says in Acts, you'll find a story of Paul. So check out Paul. Paul was there talking to the Sanhedrin in Acts 23 and 5. Uh, and I'm going to summarize it, then I read that. He, he's just talking, he's there talking to the, the uh, Sanhedrin. And Ananias says, uh, tells one of his servants, he's like, hey, go slap Paul. And Paul says, whoa, God will slap you down. What? You are fake, Ananias. You sit there, you judge people by the law, then you break the law, and then now you're ordering me to be slapped around? And everybody got upset, and they, they were like, whoa. And Paul was like, oh, I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, but the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. And the message it says like this, Paul acted surprised. He was, how was I to know he was chief priest? Number one, he wasn't acting like it. How doesn't he doesn't act like a chief priest. You're right. The scriptures does say, don't speak abusively to a ruler of the people. People, what did Paul do? He says, what? Sorry. Paul understood that even though he wasn't acting right, even though he was out of line, it wasn't Paul's place to say that in that setting the way that he did. And Paul, being a man of God and understanding kingdom, apologized because he understood the need to respect authority. You got to understand that there are great dangers in talking about and rebelling against leadership. See, everybody's good. Everybody loves Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean when they're telling us things that we want to hear. This is the year of release. This is the year uh, uh, everybody in this ministry can make at least uh, the poverty wage. Everybody in the ministry can make six digits. You're blessed and highly favored. Everybody is easy to align with leadership when it's in line with what you desire for yourself. But, oh, we forget about that part where leadership helps us to see the blind spots in life, right? Leadership helps us to, to be pruned and to produce more. And see, that's the part that we don't like. And see, that's the part where you begin to say, well, Pastor Sean, I mean, Pastor Edwin, he's 49. I mean, he'll be 50 in January. I'm 38. He ain't but uh, 11 years older than me. So technically, he ain't even old enough to be my daddy. I could do what I want to do. And you know what? I could. But when you understand kingdom and you understand rank and you understand order, yes, I said rank and order, then you submit yourself to the place that God has called you. Because if God has called you to FOC, then what Pastor Sean and Pastor Edwin tells us, then it's as if God is speaking to us. Now, caveat, wherever you go to church, you follow your man and woman of God as they follow God. So Pastor Evan can be out here saying, go rob our best. That ain't, that ain't a word from heaven, right? So that ain't what we doing. But I'm saying as your man and woman follow God, you follow them. Uh, 
So let's look at the story. We won't go there because I don't want to spend a lot of time there. About Absalom. Absalom was, uh, let me just summarize it for you. It's in 2 Samuel 13. Absalom got upset with David because David's daughter uh, was raped by her brother. And Absalom felt like uh, David should have handled the situation a little differently, right? He felt like David should have had the brother punished. And we really don't know all that David did or didn't do with the brother. But what Absalom did was invited the brother to his house and killed him. And so after Absalom killed him, he moves away for three years because he knew it upset David. And David still, after he did, did that, was yearning to be with Absalom because he loved his son. He grieved the loss of one son, but loved Absalom who killed him. And so Absalom did was so angry with David that he began to move. He moved back because David wanted him back. David said, you can't live in my house, but I still want you in my kingdom. Because that's what a father's love looks like. I mean, David was always trying to bring Absalom back. But when he came back, Absalom was like, no, I'm about to usurp this. I'm about to be the king. So he sent his people out and said, hey, when you go out, when the trumpet sounds, I want you to hear that Absalom is king. So David heard about this and David actually fled. David left. And Absalom and David armies got into a fight. And even then, David, a father, was saying, don't kill my son, Absalom. But anyway, Absalom was riding his horse. His hair got caught up in a tree. He was hanging up in a tree by his hair and got shot and killed uh, with arrows. Here's the thing. Even though David may not have done what was right in the sight of Absalom, he had, Absalom had no right to come in and try to usurp authority. He had no right to go handle the situation itself. He had no right to do that. And so many times in the body of Christ, as a believer, as, as a member or a partner of your ministry, you believe that just because a pastor makes a mistake, then you have a right to come behind and do something. No, that is not the case. David painted the perfect example of what we should do when Saul was trying to kill him. David was running all around the earth. I mean, all around the place running from Saul. And even when he had opportunities to kill Saul and his men was like, kill Saul, he cut a little bit from Saul's robe. And he told Saul, I could have killed you. And David, the Bible says David felt so bad because he did that because he understood that the word said that you should not dishonor authority. That's what his word says. He said David felt horrible because of that. He felt horrible. Why? Because he understood that, hey, I shouldn't have never done that. Who God places in authority, God also sees see to it that they're not in authority. That's God's job. So your job as a believer, your job as a partner in the ministry is to pray for Pastor Edwin and Pastor Shun and those are, that are in, in, in leadership position. To understand that they are not gods, but they are people. And to expect your man and woman of God to walk earth and never make a mistake is foolishness. That is what religion has taught us. It has caused us to put men and women of God on this pedestal that, that they, they shouldn't be on in the sense that they are not gods. They walk earth just like I walk earth. Pastor Edwin is a man just like I'm a man. Pastor Sean is a woman just like April's a woman. So we got to understand that their life is just like ours. But yes, God expects them to live with great quality and excellence. But that doesn't mean when they fail that we talk about them. It is our job to lift them up. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 says this in a message translation. 
It says, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. All right, you wanna know how to be a good citizen? Respect authority, whatever their level. I got that bolded because this is what I love about our man and woman of God. I can't speak for everybody. It doesn't matter. Right now today, I saw in the comments that somebody told Pastor Edwin to get out of the uh, stream yard. He didn't have to do this. Uh, and he's like, and he's still here. You know why he's still here? Because he's committed to it. He, I mean, he, he he's committed to it. And you got to respect authority at whatever their level. So even if I'm the, I, I'm an education administrator, I oversee alternative schools and non-traditional high schools across Arkansas. When I walk into a building, even though I'm the boss, when I walk into that building, the campus supervisor that is there, I submit to their authority and I go by the environment in which they have set up in their building. Why? Because respect authorities, whatever their level, you're never too above to respect authority. I don't care where you are. It says they are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you may cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. How many people think that Oh, pastors have too much authority, or apostles, or prophets, or whatever. That I mean, it's like you don't got to obey that man. You're right. You don't have to, but you also don't have to walk in the full manifested power of God. You also don't have to have deliverance in all areas of your life. You also don't have to live an abundant life. You also don't have to have more money than you have money. You also don't have to have a whole lot of other things. Why? Because disobedient to those in authority in the kingdom doesn't mess with them them as much as it impacts you negatively. It says exercising your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family, revere God, and respect the government. Yeah, even the government, they don't always do stuff that we like. Heck, I mean, I was pretty disappointed about some decisions that they made, but that doesn't mean I get to go talk about them. That doesn't mean I wish ill towards them. That doesn't mean that I hope they die of such and such or die of this or this tragedy comes upon their life or their kid's life. It doesn't do that. Why? How do I make God proud? How do I be a good citizen? I respect the government. I love my spiritual family. I treat everybody with dignity. So as a believer, you cannot control anybody else, but what you can control is yourself. So be responsible with your words and your actions towards leadership and authority. Why? Because God honors authority. Go ahead and say that. Because God honors authority, I honor authority. Because God honors authority, I honor authority. Why? Because if when I dishonor authority, it only keeps me from manifesting God's power in my life. All right, let's go to number three. It says to trust God to do what he says he'll do. Trust God to do what he says he'll do. So, so when we, what's a hindrance to manifesting the power of God? When we refuse to trust God to do what he says he'll do. Numbers 23 and 19. Uh, if you watched the intro, you saw it says God will do what he says he'll do right? He will do what he says he'll do. It says God is no mere human. He doesn't tell lies or change his mind. God always keeps his promises. Go ahead and type that. God always keeps his promises. Not sometimes, not most times, not 99.9% .9 of the time, but 100% of the time, God will always keep his promises. But Ralph, why don't I see what God has said? 
we can go back up there because you don't take God serious. God told you that this was the year to get a house. You're not even looking for the house. God told you that this is the year to get a house, but you're talking about how your credit scoring high enough. But God told you that this was the year to get a house, but you're not even looking at bankers or filling out applications. Why? Because you didn't take God serious. A promise is simply that a promise, but to see the manifestation of that premises, we got a part to pay, play. I love what Pastor Sean uh, said. She, you got to participate in your own rescue, right? It the premise is that God will save you. So if you're in the water, so picture a boat, you're in the water, you're drowning in the ocean, they throw you a raft. That raft is designed to save you. If you just grab hold of that raft, it will pull you, they will pull you in and bring you to safety. But the problem is you didn't like the color of the raft, so you didn't grab it. You drowned and died. You didn't like the what the, the condition of the raft, so you didn't grab it. You you drowned and died. You didn't like the timing in which he sent it. He should have sent it the first time you dipped under. But now you you're on your last breath, about to die. You don't got the energy to grab the raft, so you drown and you die. Why? Because you get in the way of God's premises being manifested in your life. It isn't that God is unfaithful, it's that you are not operating integrity and implementing the word that he has given you for your life. Why? Because you don't trust that he'll do what he said he'll do. In Titus 1 and 2, it says this, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God can't lie. All right. He can't lie. Run over there to Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ, the same when yesterday, today and forever. The same God that loved you enough to create an earth and give you everything in it is the same God today that's going to see to it that you can enjoy all those things. Hebrews 6 and 18. It is impossible for God to lie. For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. I'm just telling you, God cannot lie. He will not let you down. Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord and I do what? Change not. I'm the Lord and I'm changed not. So yes, trusting God that he'll do what he says he'll do allows me to operate in the fullness of his power. So the first thing you understand, God can't lie. Every word and promise he has given you will come true. This now, as I was studying this, this one made me shout. I, I I love this one. Every word and every promise he has given you will come true. How do I know that? Let's go to Genesis 28, verse 13. Every word and every promise God has given you will come true. In Genesis 28, 13, it says this. It says, then God was right before him saying, I am God, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I'm giving you ground on which you are sleeping to you, uh, giving the ground on which you are sleeping to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. They are stretched from west to east and from north to south. All the families of the earth will bless themselves where? All the families of the earth will bless themselves and you and your descendants. I am a descendant of Abraham. The families of the earth are blessed in me. Why? Because the power of God flows in me and the power of God flows through me. It says, yes, I'll stay with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this very ground. Look at this last thing. I'll stick with you until I've done everything I promised. 
Oh, y'all should shout on me. I'll stick with that made me tear up. I'll stick with you, Ralph, until I've done everything I promised. So if you're not seeing something manifest in your life, it's not that it's God. You need to go back and say, God, what have I missed? What instruction have you given me? God, I need to go back to the word so that I can increase my faith. How do I increase my faith? I increase my faith by increasing my knowledge of God, by understanding his character, by understanding his behaviors, by understanding the way that he operates. I increase my faith because I know that God is a man that he can be trusted. He says, I'll stick with you until I've done everything I promised. And, that, and God told me the other day, he says, don't you dare stop believing. Don't you dare stop believing. God sticks with you, baby. I know sometimes you feel like he's not present. I know sometimes, but don't let don't let your feelings interfere with your faith. God will not abandon you. He will not leave you stranded. He will not leave you stranded. Why? Because he'll stick with you until everything he has promised you comes to pass. Hallelujah. Joshua 21 and 45. He says, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Hallelujah. Everything he spoke to the children of Israel came true. So why, why are you talking about that, Raph? Because God is not a respective person. Anything that he did for the children of Israel, he's obligated to do it for me. So God, I thank you that every promise that you've given me, that you will not abandon me. You'll stick with me until I until it's manifested. Now, the thing that we got to understand is that we have a part to play. We have a part to play. And the part that we play is obedience. I, I like that, Pastor John. God didn't leave us in sin. Why would he leave us now? God didn't leave you when you were your filthy, ratchet, no good self. God didn't leave you when he was creating the earth and in his, in his infinite mind. He saw that we would depart from him. He saw that Adam and Eve would sin. He saw all the things that we would do. He, If he didn't abandon us before he created us, why in the world would he abandon us after he has made us? Why? He wouldn't. That's not the type of father he is. God will do what he said he would do regardless of the circumstances. Go ahead and type this. Say, when I obey God without hesitation, my future is set. When I obey God without hesitation, my future is set. You want to know how to uh, set your future up? You want to know how to guarantee the happening of things? You obey God. How do you know that, Ralph? Let's go to Luke 145. It says, and blessed, spiritually fortunate and favored by God is she who believed and confidently trusted that there will be a fulfillment of the things that were spoken to her by the angel of the Lord. So blessed is she who did what? Believed and confidently trusted. So I am going to be empowered to prosper in every area of my life when I choose to believe and confidently trust what God has said. Or in other words, when I obey God, my future is set. What kind of future is it? The Bible says that he knows the hope and the future that he wants to give us. 
to, to prosper us and give us an expected end so that we may live a life of abundance, so that our soul may prosper and be, I mean, that we may prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. It is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And having given us Jesus Christ, will he not also freely give us all things? So if you wanted to know, what do you mean my future is set? Everything you have need of is found on the end of obeying God's word, both his written and his uh, spoken word to you. Because living a life that looks good to everyone on the outside, but then having hidden sin diminishes the power of God. You can't hide sin from God. You can't hide sin from God. You may hide sin from your pastor. You may have sin from your spouse. You may hide it from everybody, but you can't hide sin from God. Whether your sin is open or whether your sin is hidden, the impact in the kingdom is the same. So you're sneaking around and nobody knowing, I mean, hey, you, you, you might be hiding from everybody, but there's nothing you can hide from the kingdom. So to think that things you do and no one is looking will never be found out is ignorance, right? So a lot of us like, well, you know, uh, every now and then, if I take an extra couple of dollars from the company's account, they won't notice, right? Or or some of us like, I ain't gonna steal it. I ain't gonna do nothing like that. If, if I just keep the, if I refuse to give uh, this, then nobody will know because that's just between me and God. Or if I find myself up uh, watching this on TV or watching this on my computer, I mean, that's just between me and my incognito browser my or whatever I got going on. I could just delete that and move on. Well, here's the thing in Mark 4 and 22, it says, for everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. And when I always read that, I thought like, man, people were going to find out, right? Uh, as I was reading this, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a different perspective on it. And y'all probably already knew this. I, I just, for me, it was like, he's like, it may not be that people find out about the sin that you're doing, but the impact of that sin on your mind will impact openly other areas of your life. Take the man or the woman who watches porn or something all the time. Then it kills their libido. It gives them a false sense of reality. And so even their interactions with their spouse, right? Though that spouse is human, though that spouse is there, they have, they're unable to be aroused by that person. Why? Because in their mind, Mentally, porn has corrupted it to, that reality is no longer something that arouses them. And so though that sin, yeah, it was hidden, but it's now in the open because they can't even get an erection or they're not even aroused by their spouse because sin has corrupted their mind. It has caused them to not see their spouse as sexually satisfying. And it's not that anything's wrong with the spouse, it's that something has corrupted your mind, sin hidden has corrupted you openly. And so, so many times we think, well, ain't nobody found out about this in all these years, but how's it impacting you mentally? How's it impacting your relationships? How's it impacting how you see God? How's it impacting your ability to believe God? Nobody knows, but the openly open part about it is you can't believe God for the new job because you condemned by what you're doing that God told you to stop. We don't know what you're doing, but how is it in the open? Because you're not manifesting fruit. Why are you not manifesting fruit? Because you're disqualifying yourself from receiving from God because of sin that you're doing when nobody else is looking. 
So, so yeah, if nobody ever find out about your addiction to X or to Y, nobody ever finds out about what you stole. If nobody ever finds out, you got to understand that just because the sin itself isn't found out, it is still impacting you in the open. And part of it is you walk around powerless. You walk around ineffective. You walk around just a, a person who is existing on earth who will access heaven without doing any good for the kingdom on earth. And that is what makes the enemy happy, right? That's his greatest achievement is to get us to relinquish our power through being hindered by hidden sin. So you got to understand that though it's hidden, it is always impacting you. I like that, uh, Pastor Chris. I'm never protected in sin. You're never protected. I don't care how many times you delete your browser. I don't care how many times they say they won't tell nobody. I don't care how many times you cover up your steps. Your sin is impacting you because that condemnation makes you feel disqualified. It makes you feel shameful. And you'll be walking around and you'll be like, uh, and the enemy will be like, well, this is going on. This It ain't even happening, right? You, you think people talking about you. You think people criticizing you. You think all of these things are going on. That's just that sin opening it up. That's just that sin revealing itself. Why? Because sin brings shame with it. It brings condemnation with it. It brings feelings of uh, inadequ inadequacy and disqualification. So sin will find you out. <laughs> Sin will find you out and then it will put you out there and then it will disqualify you or you will disqualify yourself from receiving things. You got to flee from it. You got to flee from sin. All right. Number five, we got to praise God and don't take credit for his good works. We got to praise God and don't take credit for his good works. And this is this is funny to me when I was talking about uh, hidden sin. Hidden sin comes out as babies eight, uh, nine months later, too. You know, hidden sin comes out in DUIs when we read about you on, on the uh, local websites because you got arrested. Sin comes out in, in, in marriages because you had soul ties with people that uh, that you were sleeping around with. Right. You had soul ties that that, that were developed because you were sneaking around with people and, and, and you were hidden and you were doing things to try to make somebody like you, but you didn't want nobody to know it. Now you're in a relationship with a man or woman that loves you and you can't even communicate with them because what you've done and sin is now is revealing itself in open. Now you're feeling inadequate. Now you're trying to work to gain love when a man just loves you for who you is who you are. It's like, you can't possibly just love me. Yeah, that is possible. People can love you. But when you're out there hiding everything you do and you, and this is what hidden sin does. It doesn't allow your team to tame, help tame your environment. It doesn't allow your team to help walk you out. You feel like you're out there on the island. It keeps you isolated. And so when I'm operating in hidden sin, what, what the enemy is really getting me to do, because I don't feel like nobody else has had this sin. I don't feel like nobody else has gone through what I've gone through. So how in the world can I tell somebody? Those are all attacks of the enemy to keep you bound. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no sin that, he, that somebody 
somebody else has it done. And because you have the righteous who are in authority, nobody's judging you based off what you've done, baby. That's the enemy trying to keep you trapped. You come, you tell somebody what you got going on and you let somebody help you. You let somebody hold you accountable. But you got all of these relationships that are broken because people are out there doing things, creating soul ties and, and doing things in the dark, <laughs> thinking nobody will know, but what you do in the dark, it will come out. And it may not come out. I know you did that when you were 19 and 20, and now you're 30 about to get married. And you thought nobody would ever know about it. But the way that boy hurt you when you gave him your body and then he just left you to never talk to you again, use that hurt follows you and you got to get rid of that. Because if not, it'll open itself up. So if you're struggling for hidden sin, listen, just ask God, who can you talk to? Because nobody's trying to judge you at FOC. Our job is to do what? See people released from bondage. All right, now let's get to number five. All right, number five, praise God and don't take credit for his good works. The opportunity to be listening now to this message is by the grace of God. Everything that's good in your life is because of God. Go ahead and type that because some of us don't believe that. Everything that's good in my life is because of God. Everything that's good in my life is because of God. Ralph is intelligent. I was in GT. I scored really, really high on some IQ tests. I got some really nice scholarships. I graduated number one in my class. In the natural, I'm intelligent. All right. But I also understand that intelligence in the kingdom gets you hurt. Intelligence in the king makes in the kingdom makes you ineffective. Intelligence in the kingdom makes you useless. Why? Because anytime I resort to my own knowledge, I'm, I, I, I make the kingdom of no effect. I, it's enmity against God. My fleshly mind operating outside of my spirit is always in contradiction to the things of God. Because no matter how smart I am, I would have never qualified myself to live in the house that I live in. And because me and April were 21, 20 or 21 and 22, we didn't even have jobs long enough to qualify for this house. We had zero down payment, but we knew a promise that God had given us. He said that you'll live in a house, it'll be at least 2,000 square feet or better. Don't you be looking at no starter homes at 1,400 square feet. And so even though, and because of my intelligence, I could have let my intelligence say, Ralph, you are self-employed. You have to be on your job for two years before banks will consider that employment. You can't qualify for a house. And I could have quit. I could have said, Ralph, April has only been on her job this long. If they count her salary, it's not enough to afford the house. And I could have quit. I could have said, Ralph, uh, you don't even have money to put down on the house. How do you expect to get in the house? And I could have quit. But instead, I said, you know what? I went back to the third one. I trust God. He said he'll do what he said he'll do. It's his promise that he made to me. I didn't make I didn't make the promise. So I'm not obligated to bring the past. Let me say it again for you. I didn't make the promise to myself. God made the promise to me. So as God is obligated to bring it to pass. And so I chose to believe God. And because and because of that, we have to relinquish our own intelligence and choose to understand that everything good in our life comes from God. In yourself, you do not have the ability to even exist. In yourself, because, man, you think you're so smart, create something. 
Even the sperm, the eggs that you have, they're given to you by God. You didn't make that. The air, the air that you breathe, you didn't create oxygen. You didn't create nitrogen. You didn't create carbon dioxide. Your, very, your ability to exist, you can't even make that happen on your own. You owe God all the glory. John 10 and 10 says, the thief comes, purpose is still to kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So how does the enemy still kill and destroy? He makes you feel like that you did it for your own life. He makes it feel like you got that job for you. You you out of debt because of the things you did, but he makes you, you, he makes you take the glory that should be going to God. But when you glorify yourself, you become Lord of your own life. And now you're responsible for taking care of yourself. This is what we got to understand. We have what we have, not because we earned it, but because God wanted it to be good to us. We have what we have, not because we earned it, but because God wanted it to be good to us. I simply enter into what God had already finished. Let's go to Romans 12, 3. It says, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you, living then as every one of you does in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is is about what he does for us. So my measurement of success, my measurement of goodness is about what God does for me. I am not caught up in what I do for God. It's about what God does for me. And that's my measurement. And I'm not sure if I put this in here. Uh, success is an opportunity given to me by God. Prosperity is an opportunity given to me by God. Great relationships are opportunities given to me by God. And we don't make ourselves successful or prosperous. We just enter into what God has already done. And so that's what you got to understand. You got to give God the glory. We don't make ourselves successful or prosperous. We just enter into what God has already done. Baby, you don't got that six digit job because of anything you've done. You don't got a good marriage because of anything you've done. You don't got healthy kids and great relationships because of anything you have done. You simply entered into what God had already finished on your behalf. You, your obedience gave, was the key to give you access to unlock successful marriage, successful finances, successful relationships, success in your mind. You just enter into it. All that come from God. Now, it's always there. But what did I tell you about the word being a key? You got to be willing to do what he says to access the opportunity. Success is an opportunity. Abundance is an opportunity. Good relationships are an opportunity. They are made available to you. 
you enter into what God has done by obeying God. Because what did I tell you about obeying God? When we obey God, it sets up our future. Your future is already determined when you obey God. Why? Because it's abundance. Why? Because it's made out of love. Because He loves you and He's given you prosperity. He has given you everything that you need. Everything, of course. I mean, He's given you everything. So the Lord opened doors of opportunity for us. Whether we take the opportunity or not, it is there. Hear that. God opened doors of opportunity for us. Whether we take the opportunity or not, it, it's always there, right? Everybody doesn't have a successful marriage. Everybody is not financially uh, independent. Everybody is not healed in their mind or their bodies. Everybody is not whatever you want to do to fill in the blank. God has set up the future. The opportunity to partake in those things has been made available. It's there. And so our gift back to God should be our obedience as a sign of love to enter into the opportunity that he has provided for for me. When I tell my kids, I said, hey, daddy wants to take you to get the snow cone. What I'm presenting to them is a is a promise that I take them and an opportunity to exercise and to go with me. Uh, their faith to get the uh, snow cone. They could say, well, daddy, I don't know if you'll really take me to get that snow cone. They could say, well, daddy, I don't got no money to get the snow cone. See, that's why the Bible says we need to just come to God as children. Aiden never considers himself when I make a promise to him. Aiden never, Ava, major, they never consider themselves when they daddy make a promise. When I say, I'll take you, uh, or if I say, hey, do y'all want snow cones? Aiden isn't thinking about, oh, I don't have any money. Oh, I can't drive. Oh, that's too far to walk. That's not safe. He never considers any of that because he does number three. He trusts that God is who he says he is. In this case, in this example, that daddy is who he says he is. If daddy is asking me if, I'm, if I want it, it's not a setup. It's not something to simply to get my hopes up and to let me down. You just got to, they just never consider themselves. Why? Because you got to trust God. He has given you the opportunity. We must never arrive at a place that we forget to honor God for what he's done for us. I call them mile markers. I set mile markers in my life. And I remember how God did this to remember. I think I taught a, a message a few weeks ago. And we simply talked about, we remember, we remember God being 21, buying our first house and how you came through in that closing, we got money back. We remember wondering how we was going to make the mortgage payment and you came through every single time. We remember you saying we needed another car. You said it was okay to get another car. Did you hear what I said? He said it was okay because I'm not going out to get debt without uh, or get anything without asking my daddy because if my daddy says yes it doesn't look matter what my money looks like I'm operating off the fact that my daddy said he'll get it for me so he said yes so God I remember that I remember being 
being nine years old, being pulled out of school because my mama was on her deathbed and them driving us to Little Rock and I'm sitting in that chapel and I said, God, I don't really understand who you are, but this is what I'm asking for you. If you let my mama live, I dedicate my life to you. I don't, I, all I know, God, is that you love us and that you keep us. Now, I remember being in that chapel and I remember going back and, and they're saying, hey, see your mama for the last time. And she got those tubes and on a ventilator and all that. And then I remember two weeks later, my mama came home. God, I remember. And when you begin to remember all those things, I remember being at college and not having enough. But every single time you always came through, I, I didn't work a job because of the refund checks. And every time I always had more and more money. I remember those times, God. Why? Because when you begin to put God in his right place, then you begins to make you understand who really has, who really makes all this work. It's nothing that I've done. I've just tried to always obey God. And in my attempts and my effort to obey God and my effort to follow his voice, he has always set up my, my future. God, I remember. I remember, Lord. I remember two weeks ago when Aiden was, uh, and Major was quarantined for COVID. I remember God. I remember that. I remember thinking that this sickness will not come in my household. And I, and I remember Aiden testing positive out of the blue. But this is what I also remember, God, that, that they didn't manifest anything major, that they are whole and they are complete. And I remember my baby girl this morning said, I am the healed of the Lord, Daddy. And I remember that, Lord. I remember that. And so anytime the enemy tries to come up to you and think that you don't have enough and that, that there, there's not enough time, there's not enough money, you don't have enough intelligence, you don't qualify that, you just tell the, the enemy, I remember. I remember when the Lord brought me out of this. I remember when the Lord brought me out of that. I remember when, because when I begin to glorify God, I put him in his rightful place as Lord, and then it removes me and it's all of him and he can go do what he can do. He can crack open that rock and make water flow from it. He can spread rivers. He can call rivers and deserts to show up. He can put life and dry bones in Ezekiel. He can do all of that. Why? Because we remember. But the problem is, is when you stop and remembering what God has done for you, when you stop glorifying God, when you stop, when the only time you will your mouth of praise is when Pastor Chris and Elder Valley get on for Sunday. That's why your week is so hard. That's why you have more month than you have money. That's why. Because you don't take the time to remember. So you got to set up those mile markers in your life. All right. Whoo, that's good. I'm telling you, because when you start talking about all the things that God's done for you, it puts everything in its rightful place. It makes God real, real big. It makes the enemy real, real small. It makes you understand that you've taken care of and that he won't abandon you. It makes you understand that every promise that he's made to you, he will stand by you into the manifestation of those promises. Hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah. All right. So praise God and don't take credit for his good works. Amen. All right. Mm. All right, last one, number six. God, I remember. Whew. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. 
I thank you. I remember when society said that what society would do and all these things. I remember God. And, and here's the great thing. Rod, Rod's going to be talking about, I remember. I remember when the enemy came for my life. But And Rod's going to be telling a testimony of how God healed him completely. His best days are yet to come. He'll be able to tell his grandkids how he remembered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all just bear with me for a second. I remember God. I remember every time, every time, every time I looked at my account, it didn't seem like there was enough. But God, you came through every time. You know why? I committed to give. I remember not thinking I had enough to give, but I gave to God anytime. Because here's the thing. You don't need it till you need it. There's some things that I've committed to now that I promised God. And, 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 and I'm like, God, where's the money going to come from? But until I need it, I don't need it. And so many times you begin to doubt God because what you are desiring is it manifesting on the time schedule in which you think it should? God's not obligated by your time. God will come through. Why? Because if he made the promise, he's obligated to make it come to pass. Take yourself out of the situation. You aren't, I mean, I, I'm, you are important, but you're not that important. God's promises are fulfilled by God. And you are you access those through your obedience. You access those through your obedience. All right, the last one, number six. Don't make permanent what God intended to be temporary. How do we hinder the power of God? You hinder the power of God when you make permanent what God intended to be temporary. Go ahead and say this. I type this. I refuse. I think I put it in there, Chris. I refuse to establish permanency with people, places, or things that God has called temporary. I move when God says move. It's on your screen. You can copy. Well, you can't copy and paste. But I refuse to establish permanency with anything that God has called temporary. I move when God says move. I refuse to establish permanency with anything God has called temporary. I move when God says move. Can you imagine if Abram would have never left when God told him to left or, 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 or Moses wouldn't have left with the children of Israel when God said leave? Or Elisha would have just stayed there by that brook? When it dried up, I mean, would you? Can you imagine what those stories would sound like? A lot different than they sound today. So many times we we allow comfort to be an enemy to our future. We allow comfort to be an enemy to our future. God, I don't feel like moving there. Oh, she put it up there. Your comfort zone is an enemy of your future. It hinders your success and becomes a stumbling block to your destiny. I don't want to move, God. I've been in this city all my life. So I don't want to drive an hour to church because that's going to cost gas or I don't feel like getting up early. So you want all God's promises, but you're not willing to do anything God has said. Now, how that's working out for you, right? How's that working out for you? You want everything that God has. You want his abundance. You want his prosperity. You want, listen. You don't got peace of mind because you ain't broke up with boo. 
You ain't left the job when God told you to leave. Or you, or, or you ain't taking the job God told you to take. When you refuse to, to move when God says move by establishing permanency in places God called temporary, you are surrendering the power of God in your life. God's power can't work there because you're in disobedience. I know they've been your friend for 20 years, but if God said move on, then you got to move on. What do you love more, them or God? And see, so many of us don't be like, no, I love you, Lord. Lord, I thank you. And then we be like, purify me, Lord. Why? Because we all up in worship. We ain't really understanding what we're saying. We're like, purify me, God, Lord. Well, part of purification means that he's going to tame your team. Part of purification means he's going to tame your environment. Part of purification means he's going to tame your thoughts and he's going to tame your tongue. He's going to tame your temperament. He's going to tame your heart. So that's part of purification. And you out there singing that. You're saying, really what you're saying, God, God, I want to keep moving towards you. I don't want permanency in a place that you've called temporary. So God, I know that you brought me this far, but I know that there's still a long way for me to go. God, I want to see the fullness of who you are. That's what we'd be saying. And then when God say, give them up, he's like, whoa, now, Lord, I've known them since childhood, but they, they ain't for you right now. And, and you're like, well, God has never done anything wrong to me. Nobody's for you if God has told you to let them go. Why? Because the moment God told you to let them go, they no longer for you. When God told you to let them know, they're no longer for you. That job, that house, that city, it doesn't matter how much you like them. When God said move, it was no longer there for you. It's not for you. Actually, it's against you. Because anytime we begin to hold on permanently, to things that meant to be temporary, we find ourselves in a situation where we have now become Lord of our own lives. And it's now our, our job to sustain this relationship. It's now our job to sustain this, uh, to sustain our mindset on, on at this workplace. It's now our job to sustain whatever it is. Why? Because God said it was temporary. God told Abram, he told Moses, he told Eli, he told him to move. Why? Because where you are is no longer sustaining you. But God, I feel good here. You don't let your feelings interfere with your faith. But God, I like it here. Don't let your feelings interfere with your faith. But God, I'm so comfortable. What did I just tell you about comfort? Comfort is, hinders your success and is a stumbling block to your destiny. So what are you going to do? Because how many times have you ever moved and it was un it was comfortable? I've never moved. I haven't moved physically a lot in life and as far as houses go. But every time I've helped somebody move, it's never been comfortable. The packing up of the box. And see, when you begin moving, if you ever notice when you begin moving, it begins to sort out some things, right? you like, what's worth keeping and what do I need to get rid of? And see, God is trying to move some of you because you're holding on to so much junk. You're holding on to so much baggage. You're holding on to so much stuff that God is trying to cause to be purified in your life. But because 
because you are still comfortable, because you are still wanting to stay here, he can't get you to where he wants you because you're taking so much baggage with you. You can't even take what God has for you because you're already full of junk. Here I have a cup. My cup says believe. Uh, but if this cup was full of water, but God told me to pour out the water, but I was like, but God, I love this water. It's the right temperature. Uh, you know, it has the right pH. This water is perfect, God. This water ain't never wronged me, God. This what me and this water cool. But God said, get rid of the water. So at that point, I have to make a choice because God's power and God's promises, they are available. But God can't pour into something that's already full. So no matter how God wants to put something inside of my cup, no matter how God wants to promote me, no matter how God wants to see me through it, he can't do it because I haven't gotten rid of the junk that he told me to get rid of in order for him to produce what he has promised that he'll produce. That's why your obedience sets up your future. But your disobedience also sets up your future. So refusing to become uncomfortable is choosing to stay in your current reality. Realize Here's seven things you need to realize. I'm just going to go through these quick for the sake of time. Uh, realize why you are where you are. If you want to get, if, if you want to become uncomfortable and move, you got to realize why am I here? You got to let go of what's holding you back. You got to realize, you got to be willing to try something new. You got to develop some good habits that will help you move out of your current place. You got to examine your team and your environment. You got to focus on the word to overcome stupidity and ignorance in order to access wisdom. I'll say that one again. A lot of us are stupid and ignorant. Stupid means you know better, but you choose not to. Ignorant means you just lack the knowledge to do what's right. But when you focus on the word, you overcome stupidity and ignorance in order to access wisdom. And number seven, you got to write the vision. You ain't even you ain't even written down what God told you you can have. You got to make it plain. Why? So you can see it and motivate you every day. But this is where we're going to end up today. This is where we're going to close. In order to not make temporary things permanent, we got to be willing to face our fears. Not facing your perceived inadequacies causes you to magnify them. So, for example, uh, for a long time, I had a real big issue. And I still, I ain't going to lie to you, I still work on this. Uh, but I'm glad I got the pastors that I have because they, they are they are blessed and highly anointed in this area. I, I had a big issue with what people thought about me uh, and, and their opinions. And if I tried this, if it was failed or something like that, uh, I had a big issue with that. And so until I was willing to face that, and honestly, that's why I uh, refused to do uh, Bible study for a long time. I was like, well, what are people going to think about me? Blah, blah, blah. And that one, finally, I got to the point of like, who cares? Why? Because I, I faced my perceived inadequacies. As long as you're magnifying on the things that you feel like other people's opinions or or if you'll fail at what happened, as long as you magnify on or think about those things, they get to, they magnify in your life and they get so big that you just paralyzed. You don't move. And so what I did, I faced my fears. 
And when, and when you face the perception of your fear, you realize that not only your soul is concerned about man's opinion, but your spirit is. So when I began to face that, and I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 this ain't God. So what's the issue here? The issue is with my soul, right? Because we're a tripartite being. My soul is concerned about my man's opinion, but my spirit is only concerned about God's opinion. My, my, my soul is concerned about what happens if I fail, but my spirit man is only talking about what it's going to look like when we prevail. Your, your, your soul is concerned about what happens when the bank tells you no, but your spirit man is rejoicing at closing in your new house. Why? Because it's your soul that causes you to think and causes you to, to magnify those inadequacies. That's why we got to renew your mind. Everyone's message a few weeks ago. So as you spend more time focusing on God and his love for you, you then will want to respond to his love. So as I begin to focus more, okay, God will be asking me to do a Bible study to get me out here for people to laugh and make fun of me. But then I'm like, what if people laugh and make fun of me? Ralph, what's more important? Like you, you talk about you for the kingdom, but are you really for the kingdom? Because right now you're not operating in power and authority. And so I began to get in God's word and then my soul aligned with my spirit. And so, and I'll be honest with you, every now and then, even this morning when Pastor Evan was like, hey, could you teach on Sunday? I'll be honest. I'm like, oh, Sunday? I don't know. Uh, but why? Because your spirit, your soul man is always there to point out inadequacies. And then, I mean, it, it's just going to, why? Because it's earthly. But your spirit man is there to tell you it's already done. It's already finished. God will already see you through. So you got to be willing to face your fear. All right. And let's close with our last verse. Mark 7, 8 and 10. It says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. He says, Ralph, in other words, you got a good way of making excuses to obey me because of your own opinion. Remember, this is not a democracy. This is theocracy. If you want to see the manifested premises, you got to do what the king says. If you want to see the prosperity in your life, you got to do what the king says. If you want to manifest healing in your life, you got to do what the king says. Naaman almost lost the opportunity to be healed because he didn't want to listen to the Lord because he felt like it, it wasn't to his standards. But if you want, you can't let traditions of your own opinion and of religion cause you not to experience God. The enemy's intent is to entrap you within your own comfort zone, because if he can get you to stay comfortable in the place that you are, you'll never access the full power of God. Why? Because when God told me to move, then my, my power is now located in the place that he has called me to. I'll say it again. The power is located in the place that he has called me to. So when you stay on that job, when you stay in that relationship, when you uh, don't obey God according when about the things he tells you to eat and things like that, the power is located in the place that God has called you. So right now you're powerless. If you're still in the place right now, if God said, Ralph, leave Conway, move to Alaska. All right. Well, when he told me to move to Alaska, that's where his power is. That's where his provision is. That's where my dominion is. Why? Because that's where he's called me. But my refusal to move leaves me powerless and ineffective in Conway. 
And so many of you are angry with God because you're you're in places where you feel like God has abandoned you. You're in a place where you feel like you ain't hearing God. It ain't that God ain't talking. God done spoke. He's spoken already. He's told you what to do. And because you failed to do it, then you don't manifest his fullness. And it really is that simple. All right. Pastor, I'm supposed, you can't pray enough to bless that relationship, a place that God told you to leave. You can't do it. And so you're praying, you're fasting, you're believing God, you're getting other people to believe God for you that uh, that this is your job when God told you it what? That this is that you can stay in, in X City when God told you to move. No amount of a sacrifice uh, or, or anything like that would take place of your obedience. So if you won't what God has for you, find yourself being obedient. Why? Because that sets your future. All right. So yes, the enemy, and, and this is uh, this is the last thing. The enemy, when we don't operate in the power of God, when we don't operate in the power of God, we render ourselves useless. Yeah, uh, you'll go to heaven, right? So the enemy, I told you, the greatest achievement of the enemy is to get a believer to uh, relinquish the power of God or become ineffective and useless for the kingdom of God. So, yeah, the enemy uh, may have lost me to heaven, right? Let's say I'm going to heaven. There's no doubt about it. But how many people did the enemy gain because I refused to operate in the power of God? How many people are out there waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God and the daughters of God? How many? There's somebody waiting on you at that new workplace right now. There's somebody waiting on you in the new city right now. There are things and callings and, and organizations that need to be led. There are CEOs and companies waiting to be led by righteous men and women of authority, but you won't move because you're comfortable and your comfort is going to block your destiny. And so we refuse to preach the good news to the poor. We have refused to pardon the prisoners. We have refused to heal the sick. We have refused to free the burden and the battered. We have refused to announce to, to the world that Jesus is Lord. And when we refuse those things, we simply become a paperweight waiting to access heaven who has no use for kingdom good here on earth. And so if you're experiencing hell in your life and you experience powerless in your life, it's probably because you're not obeying God. So that's it. We're going to make this declaration. We out of here. So declare this. Say, I will commit to obeying. And she's going to type it and put it in the comments so you guys can see it and you can declare it on your own time. But I will commit to obeying God in every area of my life. I will not be hindered by a refusal to tithe or give when God says so. I will honor those in authority and I will not allow any corrupt communication to proceed from my lips. Regardless of circumstances, I will stand on God's promise to do what he said he'll do. I will not waver. I will not cave in and I will not quit. I know that God will not abandon me. He will stick by me to ensure all of his promises come to pass. I will operate in holiness, integrity, and excellence in all areas of my life. I will not allow sin to interfere and clog my reception from hearing from God. I will focus on God's goodness daily and allow it to be a constant reminder of his faithfulness and love towards me. And lastly, 
I refuse to get comfortable. I may have come a long way from where I started, but baby, I still have a lot left to see. And that's a declaration that you can say every day. I still have a lot left to see. I, I am grateful, but I am not satisfied with where I am in life. Why? Because until every knee has bowed and every tongue has confessed, you and I still got work to do. We still got hands to lay on people. We still got prayers to pray. We still got fasting to do. We still got interceding to do. We still got kingdom work to do. And we're going to work in the fullness of God's power because we refuse to be hindered by the things that we discussed today. Amen? Amen. So I pray that you were blessed by the word. I pray that this word bless you. And I pray that we are all able to operate in the fullness of God's power that works in us through the Holy Spirit. And that through the knowledge of God, our faith will be strengthened so that we may uh, operate in faith and that everything we believe for will be manifested. That's what God says. That he said, any man come to me, believe me or receive. Why? Because we have the full knowledge of who he is. And because we have the full knowledge of who he is, then we understand that God will not abandon me. He will ensure that his promises come to pass. So govern yourselves according to the announcements. Uh, let me get to the announcement, folks. Mon tomorrow, Monday, strategies for success. Tuesday, Tuesday night prayer. Wednesday, refresh Bible study. Thursday, Ignite and Victory Zone on Demand. And Friday, Circle of Champions. And you know, Sunday, be back here at 9 a.m. with Pastor Chris and 9.30 back here with Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean. All right. So also, it's an opportunity to forgive. Make sure that you give, guys. Ask God. God, if you're tired, if you belong to FOC and you're part of FOC, you know our commitment to tithing. So make sure that you're tithing. Uh, and if you're not a partner, if God tells you to sow into the ministry, ask God, God, what's my offering? Because sometimes we can get so routine with offering. We just, we have our tithe, or if it's not your pay period or time to tithe, you have your offering. And sometimes we just have it so set. But ask God, God, what would you like for me to give today? And sometimes, man, I just be in there and I'm like, God, you've just been so good to me. What I wanted to give today, just it's not even adequate to, to, to meet the goodness of God. I just want to give you this. Why? Because how can I do that for my wife and not do that for God? How can I do that for my kids and not do that for God? I could be walking through the store and I could see something that I think my kids may like, right? And I'd be like, man, let me just get that for them. Or I could see something April may like. I'm like, man, I love that girl. Ooh, I love that girl. Let me get this for her. And so that's the same way when it comes to my gifting. I'm like, oh, God, I, I thank you. As I, as I remember today, <laughs> all the things, a lot of things that God does for me, it makes me want to sow. Why? Because I'm only partnering with him to say, God, I understand that the money that I have to give today is only, I only got it because you gave it to me. I only, I only have it because I only have breath to speak because you gave it to me. I only have intelligence and peace of mind because you gave it to me. So, God, I thank you that you gave me the opportunity today to give something back to you. And so that's how we got to see giving. It's not a bill. It's not a payment, but it's an expression of love that I get to communicate back to God. So make sure that you find yourself giving. Once again, if you want to be a partner of FOC, we'd love to have you. 
we're not for everybody, but we for a whole world. Why lots of people? I know I didn't say that right, but uh, you get me. We're not for everybody. This this ain't the church for everybody. And I pray that everybody finds the church that God's called them to. But baby, FOC is worldwide. And we got partners all over the world. And we have been called to thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And the question is, is you the one? And if you're the one, run over there to focchurch.com. Sign, uh, sign up for that partner form and then our team will get with you because here's the thing uh, we won't say we go together unless you let us know alright so I'm thankful for you guys joining us tonight I mean <laughs> this morning uh, once again we pray for trial and grace for our pastors as they come back to Arkansas and we thank you Lord they're able to take many more trips like this where they can just get away whenever they desire and know that the ministry will be well taken care of, right? And that's why we need you being obedient and being committed partners because FOC is, I mean, we're a virtual ministry and we're in Northwest Arkansas, but we are a worldwide global ministry and we need people willing to commit to their cause of God and operate in integrity and excellence so that they may we may reach people in every continent as much as possible so that the kingdom of God may grow. And so that's you. That's you. Go ahead and sign that partnership. Go ahead and obey God. Go ahead and operate in the power of God. And you guys have a great, great week. I love you. Be blessed.